Today, part one of a two-part conversation about the Headwaters chapter of Trout Unlimited. Among the topics today, their brand new series, Get Hooked on Fly Fishing, which starts this Saturday. And so the program on all three days, we're going to start with, in the morning, we're going to do a session of fly tying and um, casting practice and safety for fly fishing, because it's a little bit different than spin cast fishing. Um we're going to break for lunch, and then we're going to go out on the lake and go fishing right afterwards. Um, hopefully, everybody will be successful catching fish. And we check in with the aquatic biologist to find out why perch are so important to the fishery. Pike, muskie, walleye, right? they all are consuming that and relying on that prey source uh, in large part. So if your perch numbers go down, it affects the predators that we like to capture as well. And we like catching perch too. It's all coming up. in the sand pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man but the wife she just don't understand i love walleye perch trout and bass and if you don't like fishing you can kiss my four stroke right in the back because the fishes all tremble at the thought of me when i'm fishing paul bunyan country you're listening to fish and paul bunyan country Today we are talking trout with a couple of members of the Headwaters chapter of Trout Unlimited. Last week we talked trout with Tony Standera of the Minnesota DNR. And today we're talking with uh, actually a couple of members of the board from the Trout Unlimited Headwaters chapter, Bob Wagner and Chris Williams, who got a hold of me, uh, I think it was last week. Said, yeah, we got something cool going on. Uh, can you help us promote it? And they said, heck yeah. So let's, let's talk about this. You've got something called Getting Hooked on Fly Fishing. I'll just leave the floor to you and you can tell me what it's all about. Uh, yeah, well, we were approached, um, at one of our other events we do is the, uh, Great Great Waters Fly Fishing Expo. We have a booth down there where we teach kids and adults on how to tie flies. A lot of times it's their first fly. This last year was hugely successful. We had over 300 flies we tied. Um, and one of the members of our chapter said, hey, I've got this grant I found from the Minnesota DNR do you think we could should apply for it? So in a matter of about seven to ten days, I think, we wrote this grant to the Minnesota DNR. We were funded. The whole premise of the grant is to get um, new people into fly fishing. So part of the fifth grade fly fishing program we do, we were trying to recruit those members. Um, any adults who maybe wanted to try this out, to get them involved, so we wrote a wrote the grant or whatever to get funding to buy some new equipment for the chapter and and all of this. So we quickly put together a program. It's going to happen three days over this summer, um, July twentieth. So this Saturday is the next event or the first event, I should say. And we're going to fish for panfish and bass. And so the program on all three days, we're going to start with in the morning. We're going to do a session of fly tying and um, casting practice and safety for fly fishing because it's a little bit different than spin cast fishing. Um, We're going to break for lunch, and then we're going to go out on the lake and go fishing right afterwards. Um, Hopefully, everybody will be successful catching fish. I'm pretty sure they will be. Um, 
We can guarantee lunch, but guarantee fish is something else. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I'll take lunch. <laughs> yes. Um, so like I said, we had three dates. We're going to do bass and panfish first. That's probably the easiest to fish for. In August, we're going to do um, northern pike, which is one of the things we in our chapter love to fish for. We hold an annual pike hunt every spring. And uh, then the last day is going to be in September where we're going to go target for trout and take them up to either the Clearwater or another river around this area that does have trout. So, Where are these going to be held at? Um, so we're going to have these classes or the program or whatever at the old mill building at Nymore Beach. Okay. Uh, it's a very nice facility. Looks real nice. We're right on the beach. Um, parking will be at the corner of the Sanford parking lot. Um, if they don't have it blocked off, I was informed they're going to be building a new parking lot there. So, oh. But we will park there. Participants will, you know, walk the short distance to the old mill building, and we're going to use that as the home base for the whole day. Okay. So, It's a great spot for it. It is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So is this geared towards kids, adults, everybody? Everybody. 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 Um, We do require that any kids probably age 10 to 16 bring a parent with them. And we did that because we want to foster that relationship and passion for fishing with that kid and their parent. So if a kid has a passion but the parent doesn't, you know, it, it may not be successful. But if we can get the parent involved too, you know, then those two would have something to bond over to go fishing. Okay. So. An interesting thing for your listeners, Kev, is that uh, we've done this fifth grade fly fishing program here through our Headwaters TU chapter, and, and TU is helping co-sponsor this with the DNR. An interesting thing is we keep running into more and more youth and parents who have never fished. They mm-hmm. want to, but uh, they just haven't for whatever reason. And they want to learn the skills, and they're excited about it. So this is a great opportunity. Men, women, youth, uh, whoever. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's so much fun. A couple of the myths about fly fishing, there's actually three myths mm-hmm. that we run into all the time. And one is that, oh, it's really tough to learn. And it is actually the simplest of all types of fishing because, if you will, you can use a fly rod just like a cane pole. And a cane pole, for those who might not know, is simply a long fishing pole with a line tied on the end of it, and you just simply flip it out there. Mm -hmm. And that's what you can do for panfish, sunfish, crappies, rock bass. The other myth is that it's expensive, and it's actually maybe the least expensive of all types of fishing because you don't need a boat and the price of of fly rods and reels and equipment going back 10 years ago has greatly been reduced uh, because of copyrights that have been dropped on high modulus graphite. So now you can buy an, a complete outfit a really good rod, and better matter of fact, we have all these Chris through his grant writing getting this grant. A part of this is he's obtained some really great fly fishing outfits that are going to be available for these people to use. And uh, so we got all the equipment, including all the fly tying equipment and materials. But it's really it's easy to learn. It's very inexpensive. You can buy a complete outfit for under hundred dollars 
rod, reel, the line is already on it. The third myth is that, and Chris and I and others run into this, when we say, oh, we fly fish. So they look at us and they say, well, oh, you fly fish, so you go to Montana or Idaho or... (laughs) Or they'll say, where do you find trout around (laughs) here? Oh, really? (laughs) And I'm like, well, we don't always fish for trout. Uh, Exactly. Because there's way more lakes than there are rivers. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah. And, you know, so basically you can chase any fish on any water with a fly rod and reel and and that's the beauty of it so it's we kind of want to get those those three misnomers <laughs> corrected up front <laughs> okay. and uh, the another thing is that uh ladies uh, gals are really good at this it's not muscle it's technique and timing Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, like our pike hunt that Chris mentioned, we had uh, this spring, which was our fifth annual pike hunt, we had 26 people sign up, yep. six ladies. We had ladies, for the first time ever, casting a fly for pike. I can think of one gal caught five pike. And she that was is, more than me. Yeah, <laughs> she, she, she was just elated, you know. And, uh, you know, so, so it... Uh, it's a very easy sport to learn. It's inexpensive, and you can do it right here in Bemidji, right mm-hmm. in your backyard. Yeah. Much more to come with Bob and Chris on Trout Unlimited next. Some people say fishing is overrated. For the record, they are wrong. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Bob Wagner and Chris Williams, they're both on the board of the Headwaters Chapter of Trout Unlimited. They've got a great event coming up starting this Saturday called Getting Hooked on Fly Fishing. We're talking about that and much more. We're just talking trout in general. I think the great thing about, uh, about fly fishing and trout fishing is that lack of need of a boat. I think that really holds a lot of people. A lot of people look at it. Go checking out boats in the spring. Say, Expensive. I can't do that. Right, and they think they think they have to have a boat to fish. Right, right. And we have great access sites here, like the fishing pier right down where the river flows into Bemidji, uh, and out at Lake Bemidji State Park, and and lots of shoreline where you can you can fly fish. Uh, you can wait out if you want, or you learn a simple roll cast. You don't even have to get your toes wet. You know, so there's and there's tons of opportunity here. Minnesota has ninety thousand miles of streams and rivers. Also, wow, yeah. So I mean, it's unbelievable. The opportunities here are unlimited. This um, is part of a grant from Reconnect, Reactivate, Retention. Um, So that's the goals of this. Um, that is really the, the key. You were talking about the fact that those numbers are starting to go down for fishing in, in Minnesota and yeah. nationwide. Yes. And we, we yeah. need, to, re- we need yeah, to get that exactly. reversed. Yeah, and the same for hunting. You know, the DNR noticed um, that less people are buying license. And it's such a fantastic activity for young families, uh, such a, a great activity for youth to be involved with. And uh, and we love it. I you know we love everything about it, including fly tying. And uh, it's too bad your listeners can't actually see these great flies that Chris brought in here. But uh, they, they can see them if they go to the uh, Facebook page. Yes, because yeah. we yeah. will have them posted. 
Okay. Right, right. And and it's just an added thrill when you catch a fish, whether it's a five-inch sunfish or a 42-inch pike on a fly you tied. It's, yeah. it's just really something special. And uh, if I can say, um, I, I just finished teaching a class at the Ely Folk School um, Saturday. And uh, there, are, there are people who just enjoy tying flies. They don't. It, it's so much fun. They don't even fish. They just want to tie flies. But yeah. <laughs> we've had a few people at our community fly tying nights in the winter who they said, "Well, I just love tying the flies. I I don't really intend to fish with them. I'm going to put them in a shadow box on my wall." Yeah. And they would come back week after week to just tie flies because they enjoyed it. Yeah, wow. it's 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 a great activity. It's really fun, and of course, uh, the some of the gals. Uh, uh, like to make the earrings out of the materials that we have and stuff. But um, it's, it's so universal in regards to the application of fishing. We just can't stress that enough. There are um, people who love to go on the Mississippi River when the suckers are in, use a tiny little egg pattern fly and catch suckers on a fly rod. Is that a hoot? Yeah. And, and we've been out there doing this with people, and every once in a while a walleye will pick up that egg pattern. And it's like, oh, darn, another <laughs> walleye. You know, I want to catch a sucker. I don't care. No. But uh, just also, uh, we, we know walleyes are the uh, holy grail, and several of us have caught actually our limit of walleyes on flies. So oh, wow. that's, that's something that you can do here, absolutely. So when you're designing flies, um, are there different flies you design for different species of fish? Yes. Okay. Um, Like, for instance, the first thing we're going to tie this Saturday, it's this little spider fly. um, And it's got a weighted back end. It's a smaller hook made for sunfish and maybe bass, perch, whatever else is going to bite it. And the way it's supposed to sink, you know, it, it comes down like this very enticing to the fish and they'll grab that and i'm i haven't fished this one yet but i pretty much guaranteed a sunfish or something is going to bite it because it's got the rubber legs wiggly and stuff they're great they work um the next pattern we're gonna probably tie is uh called a craft fur minnow and it's supposed to look like a bait fish I have fished tons of pike flies like this made out of other materials, but this has so much action in the water, and it looks like a fish. It's going to be very irresistible. The last fly I'm hoping to get tied that day is what we call the blue ox gurgler. And <laughs> it looks like does, Babe the Blue Ox. It, it looks like Babe the Blue Ox, <laughs> and a lot of research and development went into making this Um with the the pattern and the colors and the little horns on top and uh yeah it's a very unique fly and i can guarantee you this will catch fish i actually was able to use it last friday for the first time because i haven't got out fishing much and as soon as it hit the water i had a sunfish like within two or three seconds it was Mm -hmm. like immediate so fish this the rest of the day and i had 
I dozens of sunfish we caught on these and bass, largemouth bass. So there's a um, lot of Bemidji tourist shops that probably want to start selling those. Uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, we do have them packaged for sale. Hey! If you would like to tie your own, and we would teach people that. Um, but you know, as far as the fully tied ones, we don't have them tied ready to go. But it is something that we have considered doing. Okay, because it is very unique to Bemidji. So it's coming up this Saturday, the first one. The next one will be Saturday, August 17th, and sun, uh, Saturday, September 14th. And you can go to one session, you can go to two sessions, you can go to all three sessions, right? Yes, that's yes. correct. Yeah. So, so what does it cost? Um, so for a single-day session, we're charging $20, and that is to offset the cost of the materials and the food we're providing because we will get two meals a lunch and a dinner meal. Oh, okay. Um, it's the best deal in town. It is a best deal <laughs> in town. Really. I mean, you not only get instruction from professionals on how to tie flies and cast them, but you also get a guided tour that day of out fishing because we plan mm-hmm. to pair people up with guides and boats. So oh, it would okay. be like two to three people per boat going out fishing. Oh, that'd be great. Um, yes. And so, yeah, and with the lakes, if we start on Bemidji and go Irvine or wherever – um, plenty of opportunities to find fish. Um, if somebody would like to sign up to do all three sessions, we're doing $50 for all three sessions. Okay. Um, and if somebody decides to sign up for one at a time and they get to that third one, we'll just charge them the $10 difference. So we're not going to charge somebody $20 a session if they did all three. Okay. We should give the phone numbers here a couple yes. of times. If um, we yeah, yeah, please. So if people are interested, they can contact me on my cell phone by text or call, which is 218-209-1595. Or they can email the Trout Unlimited chapter, which is mntu642 at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, which I think you just search for um, Trout Unlimited Headwaters chapter. That's what I did. We have a lot more to learn about the Headwaters Chapter of Trout Unlimited and trout fishing in Paul Bunyan Country, so we'll continue the conversation tomorrow. Up next, another question for the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Hapes. We find out why perch are so important to the fishery. Someday, I won't go fishing. Of course, I'll be dead. This is Fish in Paul Bunyan Country. Ask the aquatic Once again, time to check in with the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Haves from Bemidji State University. Annie, one of the big things we've heard about on Leech Lake recently is some concern about the number of perch in that lake. Um, you know, obviously, from an angler perspective, they're fun to catch, particularly for an ice angler. Um, but um, there's a lot more to it than that. But why are those perch numbers so important? Well, they're a foundation of the food web for the predators. Okay. There's a lot of perch out in the lake in most of the lakes around here. And everything likes to eat a perch. So uh, healthy year classes of perch that come into a system every year. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everybody, jumbo perch is one of the best things there is. (laughs) It is. And, and boy, I I think it is part of the issue the fact that there's so much more ice angling going on? Because that seems to be the time that you really catch the perch. Well... So we've seen in years that uh, there is perfect ice condition, laid ice, right, with no snow, uh, elevated perch harvest does occur during that time. Uh, there's no doubt 
right? Yeah. Especially because it's the only thing that's really open. Right? Walleye's already closed at that time, too. So um, that could play into the issue a little bit. Uh, but there's also a lot of other things going on, too, a lot of predators in the system. Uh, in Leech right now, you know, over the last few years anyways, there's been a lot of the female biomass numbers have been up a little bit higher than the managers wanted it to be. And that results in elevated fry numbers, and then those fry eat perch, right? So it's tough to say definitively what it is, but it's probably a combination of things. Right. You know, last year we had horrible ice conditions, so <laughs> probably it was a really good year for perch, right? <laughs> um, I know that, uh, you know, not only – I mean, we go back to the cormorant issue there. Uh, that's a long time ago now. Um, but it wasn't just that the cormorants were eating small walleyes. They were eating a lot of perch too. And, right. You know, so that there was a couple of reasons we were, they needed to get the cormorant population under control. Again, it goes back to that whole thing we talk about that that chain chain effect that right the biology has. Yeah, I'm really interested in looking into that more. We have a research project going on at BSU where uh, one of my grad students is helping out with uh, the Walker office, and we're going to try to actually estimate how many like what percent of the natural mortality was accounted for by cormorants during that time frame. Uh, okay. And that will be really interesting to try to get some of those numbers uh, right. estimated as, as accurately as we can and take a look at the situation really closely. So right now, you know, it, lots, of, lots of fish population in leech, that's taking it out of the perch a little bit. Uh, angling certainly has to have been a factor of it as well. Um, it doesn't have really anything to do with the healthiness of the lake for perch. Perch should thrive in that lake, right? Right. Yeah. Currently, we don't know. That hasn't come up in any of the discussions at all, that there's an issue with the lake itself, the chemistry, right, yeah. or the temperature or the water clarity. That hasn't been discussed. And I don't think that's it. I think it's more of a... Too many are getting eaten <laughs> by either humans or birds or fish. So there's a lot of things that like to eat a perch, and that's why they're so important. Back to the original question. So, um, and I mean, obviously, we can control the human consumption if need be. If that's a big enough factor, we. It's tougher. The other two, for sure. Yeah, yeah, especially uh, the the bird one. Right, there's federal restrictions on that. The uh, Top predators in the system, they have the ability to manage, which can manipulate the perch numbers as well, and then limiting mm -hmm. harvest or okay. changing harvest regulations on perch too, although uh, that really hasn't been done at all statewide as far as I'm aware. Not really, Not no. recently. Right? No. no. And, and it doesn't, I guess it wouldn't necessarily have to be statewide. I guess it's a, it can be a, more and more of it's going on a lake-by-lake -lake basis. What's happening in that lake, and let's, let's adjust here because blanket – regulations don't necessarily work yeah but there's problems with them with you know going lake to lake too oh i know it's just, it's, hard, it's complicated it's hard to right. keep up on and yeah yeah just the other day i went out fishing it's like oh i didn't check that I, whether this lake had a special reg this year or not right yeah and so just having to do that right there i could see how that would irritate some people but at the same time as we've discussed on this show the ecology is so specific lake to lake that mm -hmm. If you want the, I don't know, it's very difficult to phrase, right? Ecologically speaking, for an individual lake, it should be lake to lake basis. Yeah. But practically, practically speaking, practically in 
there's the social component as well that needs to be considered. So that's kind of the debate. And I guess if you're out there fishing for perch, you know, keep in mind, you don't have to take a limit every time. Right. Right. You can take five or six. That's plenty of good food right there. Yeah, for sure. All right, Dr. Andrew Hafes is our uh, aquatic biologist. He's not our aquatic biologist. We just borrow him from Bemidji State, (laughs) and we thank you, Bemidji State, for that. Andy, as always, thanks for being here today. Uh, Thanks for asking the tough questions here. (laughs)